right, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. We have uh, been in the book of Ezra uh, now for a few weeks. Uh, We're in the middle of a series called Hope After the Storm. You know, it's been one of those things where, you know, we don't really know what type of storm you're facing. Uh, obviously, all of us are facing certain challenges with, uh, with COVID, but uh, there's other challenges, other storms that we, we might be dealing with, and we need hope. And the hope that we need is not the type of hope that the world has to offer, and that's this wishful thinking, but rather uh, biblical hope, a hope that is co- a, a confident anticipation uh, it is, you're, you're confident in what is to come uh, because of the uh, faithfulness of the Lord. So the book of Ezra records the return of the Hebrew people back to the land of Israel. Uh, they have been in exile in Babylon uh, for 70 years. Uh, Babylon is what we would call a modern-day Iraq. And chapters 1 through 6 are going to record uh, the first group of people to make that return. In fact, it's a group of about 50,000 people. Uh, The people who are returning are known as the remnant. There's going to be another term, and we'll look at it as we get to the book of Esther, but it's the diaspora. So the diaspora are the the group of people that did not return to Israel. The remnant are those that, that did return. To Israel. So the post-exile or post-exilic books are uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra and Nehemiah are going to focus on the remnant, and then Esther is going to look at the diaspora. Now last week, I want to share something to you that that, uh, is fascinating to me. Hopefully you'll find it fascinating as well. Last week we mentioned a couple of names. I want us to notice a couple of things, because let's take a moment to consider Shealtiel and Zerubbabel, which actually means born in Babylon. But where have we heard those names before, or have we? Uh, Zerubbabel was appointed by Cyrus to serve as the governor of Judah. Now that's kind of important because as he is, they're returning back to Israel and they're not recognizing Israel as a country. They're recognizing it as a province. So it's just an extension. Cyrus is still going to have control, but he's saying, you can, you can go back and you can be governor. So Zerubbabel is returning as the governor. So who is this guy? Who is this leader of the first wave of exiles that's returning to Israel? Well, back in Ezra chapter 3, this is what we read last week. Now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. So that's very specific. We know exactly who this is. Now, this is the fascinating part. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. What you're going to see in Matthew chapter 1 is you're going to see a list of all of these kings of Judah. You're going to say this, you're going to see uh, King David, and you're going to see King Solomon, and then you're going to see all the different kings that ruled in the southern kingdom known Judah. Now go down to Matthew chapter 1, go down to verse 11. Listen to this. 
Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. Verse 12, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot who? Shealtiel. And Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Now, do you see what's happening here? The very guy who is going to lead the remnant, this first group, back to Israel is actually the rightful heir to the throne. That's who Zerubbabel is. Okay? So that, that means this, because if you continue reading, that means that Zerubbabel was Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. How, how incredible is that? Nine greats. David would have been 25 greats. Judah would have been 35. Jacob, 36. Isaac, 37. Abraham, 38 greats in front of that name, grandfather. So, it's no coincidence, is it? Isn't this not fascinating how faithful God is to his word that even in the remnant that is going back, the very person who is is leading this group, that first group to go back, the 50,000, is none other than the rightful heir of the throne itself of Israel, Zerubbabel. Now, well, sometimes I think we do. We, we know the names David. We know the name Solomon. We know all of those. But Zerubbabel is just as significant because without him and this remnant uh, the, the whole lineage of Christ would have been lost. And a person cannot, be, cannot carry the title priest unless they what? Unless they can carry their lineage back. Unless they can say, here's where I'm from and here's all of my lineage. Well, Jesus is certainly our high priest. And Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, all played a major, major role in that. So... This morning, I want to share with you Ezra's strategy, his strategy that brought hope to the exiles. In fact, you can apply this same three-part strategy in your life. If you need hope, you can find it using this three-part strategy that Ezra used. If you need to offer hope to someone, you can offer hope through these three actionable steps. In fact, I would say this, it's not, it's nothing I came up with, it's not, it's not even profound, it's just simply God's strategy, it's simply God's plan for hope. So this week, I want to encourage you to read Ezra chapters 7 and 8, and then we'll pick up next week with the final two chapters of Ezra. But today we're going to be focused on chapter 7, so let me give you the first strategy that Ezra used and how we can apply it to our lives. We'll, we'll pull it out. We'll see it from the scriptures. Key point number one is this. Ezra loved the Lord and studied the Word of God. Ezra loved the Lord and studied the Word of God. Let's pick up at verse 1 of chapter 7. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, 
the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Miraioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, and the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. But first let's point out the fact that Ezra's ancestry demonstrates God's faithfulness to the lineage of, of Aaron. But not just to the lineage of Aaron. Before you, you dismiss this strategy, and Ezra's strategy, because you don't come from a prestigious lineage, you might say, well, I mean, Ezra, after all, I mean, he's a descendant of Aaron. How can I, how can I have the same strategy that Ezra had? I want you to consider this. Even, even if you can't trace your lineage back very far, I want you to consider the themes of the gospel, the narrative of the gospel, creation. The Bible teaches that all humans, all of us, every single person is made in the image and likeness of God. But then we have the fall. The Bible also teaches that all humans, no matter what your lineage is, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we have redemption. The Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So what's, what's the point? Here's the point. Your heritage is about God, not about you. Whether you come from a long history of faithful Christians or a long history of people who have rebelled against God, you can be used of God for his purposes. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your lineage says. It doesn't matter what your past says. It doesn't matter what your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents did. All that we can rest assured in is in the gospel that all of us were created in the image of God. We've all sinned, but thank goodness all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. But let's look back at verse 6. Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. Listen to those words again, because this is incredible. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. In other words, he knew his Bible. He knew the content of the Bible. He knew it well. He knew the, the, the narrative. He knew... Uh, the people of the Bible, so much so that he is described here as skilled in the word of the Lord. That's an incredible way to describe someone who knows God's word. Skilled in the law of Moses. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. Um, so my, my lineage was really, as far as my Christian lineage, really starts with my grandparents, who were very faithful in the, in the Lord. Prior to that, not so much. But I still didn't spend a whole lot of time, even in my childhood, in, uh, in church. Uh, it wasn't until 
I was a teenager, and I was invited some from, some, by some friends to go to this thing called youth group. And so about 15 years old, I started attending church. And, you know, my experience with church prior to that uh, was pretty much vacation Bible school, you know, showing up for those summer children's programs, and that was about it. And so I was familiar a little bit just by going to VBS and things like that, that there were things called Bible drills, but I never did them. I didn't know much about them. But I will say this, by the time I got into to high school and I started going to, to church, someone would say, you know, our, our youth pastor, he would be like, all right, you guys turn, turn to the book of Nahum. And I'm like, Nahum? You know, what are you talking about? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it, you, guys, you guys may, if you grew up in a youth group, you know who I'm talking about. There was Becky Bible Drill. There, you know, she was, took no time at all. And she was already, she found Nahum and she was ready to share it. Well, here's the thing. Even if you're not a Becky Bible Drill, even if you don't, you can't find it that quick. And even if you still need to turn to the table of contents every now and then, that's okay. But Ezra understood God's word so much so that he's described as an expert, skilled. When I think about that term skilled, there's two factors at work in any skill. One is natural ability. A natural ability, that's God's part. God's part, and if you're going to be skilled at something, God will give you a natural ability. And then there's also stewardship. That's the second part of this equation. The stewardship is what we do with it. I mean, let's face it. You know, you've got somebody like Michael Jordan, uh, who is you know, uh, the greatest basketball player of all time. And what? You know, he has what? He has a skill. He is skilled. He had natural ability. That's what God gave him. But then he had stewardship. What is he going to do with that? Ezra was such a strong steward of God's word that he became known as skilled. Now, I want you to consider this. When you're skilled in something like that, when you, are, when you have that type of devotion to the word of God, it stems from something. And I would suggest this, that Ezra's love for God's word stems from Ezra's love for God. The world really doesn't need more opinionated celebrities, does it? The world doesn't need more rock star personalities. The world doesn't need more cool parents. The world and even the church is in need of more men and women who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you love God with that type of intensity, then you spend time in his word. You spend time in his word. So much so that you can even become skilled in his word. If you want to change the world the way that Ezra did, you want to, you want to offer hope, you want to have hope in your own life, you start with your love for the Lord and his word. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. 
You want to offer hope to someone? It begins with a love for the Lord and his word. You need hope in your life? It begins with love of the Lord and a love of his word.